Well, I'm not going to sing a special. Don't you awe me. You've heard me sing enough. I feel like the man that got up and said, I've had a lot of requests, but I'm going to sing anyway. But uh, no, I, I'm not going to sing anyway. We're just going to get right to the preaching time today. I'm looking forward to the conference as the men are and their wives and families are beginning to arrive. And I'm looking forward to what God is going to do. And uh, we need to dismiss the children. If you are under the age of 12 or whatever the cutoff is, don't fake it. Don't fake it. Some of you are getting up and you're a little too old for that. So, what's that? 
pastor says anyone under 21 that's ill-behaved can be dismissed to the... <laughs> All right. Well, the rest of you, I'd, I'd invite you to open your Bible to the book of 2 Timothy this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3 in the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, we'll direct our attention there to verse 14, Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. If you found it there, if you're able to stand, I would invite you to do so, if you can do that. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul is speaking to his son in the faith and he says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast heard and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Help us, Lord Jesus, as we look into your word today. I pray that you would take these verses that we've read and open them to us, cause us to understand, and in our modern day, cause us to make application to our hearts. I pray for one here that may not know you as Savior. I pray that today they would be saved. We ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. It was May the 8th, 2023, that a conservative podcast decided, a podcaster rather, decided to have a debate. This podcaster is not one that I follow on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, I, I've only dipped my toe very lightly into the world of podcasts and don't, uh, don't listen to them a lot. But uh, I occasionally have listened to this particular woman before and I have appreciated what she has had to say on many occasions. Hers is not a religious podcast. She typically talks about cultural issues and those kinds of things. But on May the 8th of this year, she was having a different kind of podcast altogether. She had married a man who had grown up in a in some sort of an evangelical church. Maybe a, if it were in the United States, it might have a, a title of The Rock or The Journey or The River or something like that. You kind of have an idea of those kinds of churches. They exist, and uh, their music is far different from what is sung at the Platte Valley Baptist Church, and they're not using the same Bible as we are, and uh, there's just a lot of things that are different, and, and yet there might be some that preach the gospel, and so I got the idea that was his background. As he became an older man, as he came into his teenage years, he went to the church leadership and he began to ask them some questions, some very basic questions. May I just say, you as a parent, or you as an adult in this church need to be ready for questions. Don't be threatened by questions. When people come to you and, and young people come to you and say, how do we know the Bible is the Word of God? You'd better have an answer for them. Because I'm going to tell you, for every person in this local church, there are 30 YouTube channels that are telling them to abandon God and the Bible. And so when they come to you, they are giving you the home court advantage. They are giving you the benefit of the doubt. You had better be ready with an answer to give. Well, in this particular church, no one was ready with an answer to give to this particular young man. 
And so he got into his college years. He went away. He, he lived in England, and he went away to, uh, to Oxford, I believe it was, and he studied religion at Oxford. Well, at Oxford, he fell in with some Roman Catholics, and as he began to an- ask these questions, the Catholics gave him answers. They were not correct answers, but they were answers nonetheless. And so it pulled this man who had grown up in an evangelical church into Roman Catholicism. Fast forward, this, but this man ended up marrying this podcaster. And so now she, because she believed that a man should lead in the, in the, in the religious uh, uh, training of the family, she was going to a Roman Catholic church. I got the impression from hearing her talk, she wasn't entirely convinced, but she felt that it was right to follow her husband. And so there she was. And so now it was her podcast. And she was having a debate. Two people that, according to her testimony, she loved very dearly. One was her husband. The other was a dear friend. And they were debating the subject of Roman Catholicism versus Protestantism. Now, we're not a Protestant church. So Platte Valley Baptist Church is not a Protestant church. We're a Baptist church, okay? There's a little bit of a difference there. Not going to go into that difference. But nevertheless, this woman was a friend of the podcaster, and she had grown up in a Southern Baptist church in the South. She had gone away to college and uh, had become reformed as a result of reading some things in college. And so now they were having a debate. What is right? Is it right to be in a Bible, more or less a Bible-based uh, uh, system, or is it more or less correct to be in a tradition-based system? And they were going to have a debate on this podcast on May the 8th of 2023. i got to tell you, when you're driving for hundreds and hundreds of miles at a time, a debate is a great way to keep your mind engaged. And I thought, okay, I mean, it's root hog or die. Let's see what they have to say. So the debate began, and here I was driving down the road. I mean, I'm, I'm taking this all in. This is going to be good. And uh, the man, the, this, this podcaster's husband, he asked a question to begin the debate. He asked it this way. He said, where does the Bible claim sola scriptura? Now, that's a Latin phrase. We don't use it much at the Platte Valley Baptist Church, but here's what it means. It means that all we need is the Bible to tell us how to relate to God. We don't need counsels. We don't need, uh, we don't need anything else. All we need is the Bible to, to tell us what to do. So if, here in this Baptist church, everything that we do is based upon the Bible, or at least we try to make it so. We want to be sure that the Bible is our only authority for faith and practice. So that's, that's what we believe here at this church. There's a Latin phrase for that in history. It's the Latin phrase sola scriptura. So now here is this man, and he's asking from a Roman Catholic persuasion, he says, where does the Bible claim sola scriptura? Now this woman who had grown up in a Baptist church and was now reformed in her theology, she couldn't give him an answer. You ever wanted to jump in the radio? That ever happened to you? I wanted to. I wanted to say, wait a minute, time out. Before we go to the next point of this debate, I'd like to answer this man's question. Let me say it's an important question. It might be one of the most important questions in all the world. And uh, 
I tell you, we've looked at some, we've looked at some scripture today where there is an answer. Where does the Bible claim to be so to, to claim sola scriptura? Well, we've just read it, and in a moment we're gonna go through it phrase by phrase and explain it. But let me tell you something. We're living in a day where there's all kinds of pressure. It's put on your pastor, it's put on the men who are here for this conference, it's put on you as a parent, it's put on me as a parent to say to us, the Bible is not sufficient for the problems of modern man. You need something more. Maybe you need psychology. Maybe you need the psychiatrist. You can't counsel in this particular setting because you're not a trained professional. And on and on our world goes. I want you to know something. When the Bible is properly understood and properly applied, it is enough for what you need and for what I need. I am a, I'm a person that loves to hunt. I was looking back through some pictures. It was nine years ago that we were in elk camp together, Pastor. That was the most expensive primitive hunting trip I've ever, a primitive, primitive camping trip I've ever taken. I sat around the fire at night and argued with a wolf advocate. I'm not going to tell you who it was. It wasn't anybody in this church. But uh, anyway... But one of the things that hunters have to, to discuss is how much gun is enough for the animal that you're trying to take. For example, for you hunters out there, I have a friend who grew up in California. He used to squirrel hunt with a 30 6 I asked him, I said, have you ever eaten a squirrel in your life? I, I don't think that's possible. Oh, he said, no, Brother Paul. He said, I'd take their head off, and the, the whole body would be left, and I, we'd have plenty to eat. I said, wow, okay, uh, but a 30-odd six, that's an awful lot. Uh, and when, when I want to hunt a squirrel, I, I use, a, I use a, a 22 long rifle. That's enough for me. And then, uh, then you know, I've always hunted white-tailed deer, killed several of them, and uh, so they, they'd say, what is enough? Well, you can use a 243, but is this gun enough, or do you need something bigger? I'm looking at a moose hunt. I've got some friends in Canada that hunt moose, and oh, I'm telling you what, it sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, warding off black bears as they come to consume the moose that you just legally took. What could be more fun than that? I don't know, but my wife, I don't know that she's all down with uh, my moose hunt. I haven't talked to her much about it. One day I'm just going to sneak off under the guise of preaching and really go on a moose hunt. But anyway, uh, the moose hunts, that, that, how much gun is enough? Do, do you need this much? Can you use this much? There's all kinds of debates, man. You can find them on YouTube, and I get into those uh, ballistics debates too. The 6.5 Creedmoor, is it enough to take down on a Rocky Mountain elk? I'm not going to get into that. That's kind of nerdy. But all of the hunters want to know, is it enough? There's a lot of people today that are sitting in our pews that are asking that same question of their Bible. There's a lot going on in our world today. Is our Bible enough? I want to ask that question, and I want to answer it from the Scripture today. Is it enough? Let's look at what the Bible has to say. I want you to notice several things the Bible tells us about itself here in this passage of Scripture. First of all, we'll note the identity of the book, the identity of this book. The, the Bible says in verse, in verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy Scriptures. Notice verse 16. The Bible says, All Scripture is given by inspiration 
of God. I want us to notice the identity of the book. First of all, we need to remember this. Let's never forget this. This Bible is God's Word. Okay, I say that because there's a lot of emphasis today in our, in our secular world about how men gave us the Bible. And there, there is a, there's a sense in which that's true. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I want you to understand, everything in this Bible is not anchored in men. It's not anchored in a group of men. It's not anchored in a council of churches. It's not anchored in anything but the character of our God. That's where this Bible is, is anchored in. You can trust this word because you can trust God. And so the Bible says, and for example, this is the, this is the character of our God. He's the all-powerful one. Psalm 33 and verse 9, he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. And this one who was able to speak the worlds into existence has given to you and me a book, a Bible, and you and I can trust it. This is the same one of whom it is said in Lamentations 3 and verse 23. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And the Bible tells us we, we serve a God who is faithful. Well, I'm not, I don't know about you, but I like things that are dependable. Years ago, when uh, 23 years ago, when my wife and I got married, uh, I inherited a Chevrolet automobile. And that Chevrolet automobile sometimes would run perfectly fine. But then there were times when it would just quit. I don't know why it would quit, but it would. I distinctly remember my brother-in-law and my wife and I, all three of us, we were driving together. It was in the month of November. It was about 30-some degrees, and it was raining outside. And so we were about to get off the interstate, and so I, I began when this car to decelerate and to go up the ramp, and halfway up the ramp, blam, it died. And my brother-in-law and I are out there in the cold rain pushing this vehicle up the ramp to get it off the interstate. And, uh, you know, the General Motors, is, is uh, they're working on this, okay? I've told you this before, but General Motors has now signed a multi-million dollar contract with Mattel, the toy company that makes Matchbox, all right? The idea is Mattel is going to make a whole lot of Chevy Matchbox cars so you can get used to pushing them at an early age. But we don't like something that doesn't work, do we? We want something that's faithful. We want something that's dependable. Can I tell you, our God is faithful. Our God is dependable. Hey, there's some men out here. There are going to be times that you look around and you think to yourself, does anybody know who I am, where I am, or what I'm doing? Let me tell you, God knows. God knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you're doing. And just like Joseph is in the prison, he wonders, has everybody forgotten about him? But God was working it for good. So, my friend, we'll have seasons in our life where we will wonder, is anybody knowing me, God knows you, and God is faithful. And it is that faithful God whose character undergirds this book. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4, He is the rock. <laughs> His work is perfect. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. What am I saying? I'm saying this book that you and I hold in our hands, its identity is all tied up in who God is. Let me just talk to you for a moment, not only about the, the identity of the book being anchored in God, but also the fact that this book was delivered through men. We understand that. 
It was men that helped us to have a Bible today. Now, the Bible talks about that. Their source was in God. We'll notice that in verse 16 in just a moment. But I want us to, to hold our finger here in 2 Timothy and go to 2 Peter. Can we do that, please? 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's see what the Bible has to say. The Bible describes the work whereby God gave the Word of God through men. It's very important that you understand this. It's very important that you know this. 2 Peter chapter 1 is where we'll be. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Simon Peter is talking about an experience that he had. Do you ever have people that tell you about their experiences? I was preaching in Phoenix several years ago, and a man came to me and said, Brother Paul, I want to tell you how I got saved. I said, Sir, I'd love to hear it. He said, Well, it was 2 o'clock in the morning. I always get nervous when the story starts in that time frame, but that's what he said. It was 2 o'clock in the morning, and I awakened from a dead sleep, and I noticed Midway down the stairs, maybe two-thirds of the way down the stairs, was a 40-foot Jesus. It's about that time that you have to use a ministerial deadpan face. And I just got to tell you, I'm not very good at it. I mean, you saw a 40-foot Jesus? What were you eating the night before? Those are all things that come to my mind. Maybe you're far more spiritual than I, but that's what comes to my mind. He says, I saw a 40-foot Jesus, and I began to walk down the stairs, and immediately I knew God loved me. And I'm listening, thinking, there's got to be more, right? Tell me about how you recognize that you were a sinner. Tell me about how you placed your faith and trust in Jesus. That was the end of the story. That was it. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people that have all kinds of experiences. You want to hear about Simon Peter's experience? Here we go. 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Not done this. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and watch this, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Well, wait a minute. Simon Peter really did see something. What did he see? Look at verse 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, the voice said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What is he talking about? He said, Listen, there was a day when uh, John and I, uh, 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 Peter, James, and John, total of uh, those men with the Lord Jesus, we went up into the Mount of Transfiguration. We didn't, we saw something literal there. We saw the Lord Jesus, his clothing was changed, uh, his companions were changed, and we saw that. And we heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and so forth. Now notice verse 18. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Peter said, I'm not making this up. Notice verse 19. We have also, you watching the words? A more sure word of prophecy. More sure than what? Simon Peter says, we have a more sure word than my literal experience of seeing the transfigured Jesus. Wow. It's more sure than that? Yes. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Well, what's prophecy? Prophecy means it's written down in a book. In other words, Simon Peter is elevating his Bible above his experience which his experience was real. 
But he is saying what we have in the Bible is more trustworthy, it is more sure, it is more certain than my experience of seeing the Lord Jesus Christ in a transfigured form. That's what he's saying. All right, verse 19. Whereunto, we also have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well, Simon Peter says, that ye take heed. In other words, you better pay attention to this book. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Oh, is not the Bible a light in a dark place today? Wow, boy, truer words were never spoken of the Word of God. Look at what he says in verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. Now, there are all kinds of people who have taken that and have misapplied that verse. And they said, see, you can't read the Bible for yourself in the privacy of your own home because the Bible is of no private interpretation. Here's what that means. The Bible is to be interpreted as a whole. You can't come along and cherry-pick this phrase and then cherry-pick this phrase. No, you have to take it as a whole and find out what it is saying in its broader context. That's all that that means. So that means you better read your Bible on your own, and you better come to church and hear it preached. It's not either or, it's both. You need both of them. Now, Simon Peter is going to tell us how this Bible was given by men. Okay, here we go. All that to say this. Look what he says in verse 21. For the prophecy, the Bible, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. All right, so here's what he's saying. How did you and I get this Bible? Well, there were some men that God used, and they, did, they didn't come up with this on their own will. God was working in their heart. The word, the word used here is moved. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Several years ago in the month of August, I was preaching in, in New York, or excuse me, uh, Minnesota, I was preaching in the state of Minnesota. I was preaching in a place uh, around the shores of a place called Woman Lake. 10,000 lakes, I guess they ran out of names, so they decided to call it Woman Lake, all right? Maybe it was fickle and changed a lot. I don't know. But anyway, Woman Lake in Minnesota. And so that's where we were. And uh, this man said, hey, Brother Paul, we would, we would love for you to take our pontoon boat out. You can, you've got your family with you. Here are the keys to our pontoon boat. Take it. Enjoy yourself. Well, as a boy, I had I'd grown up in South Carolina, but we used to go to Minnesota to go fishing in the summertime. I thought, man, all right, I can do some fishing. I can show these youngsters how a professional does it. So we got in the, we got in the, and you know, my, my children were little at the time. Little kids, if it takes longer than five seconds for the fish to bite the hook, they're not interested. Daddy, we want to go on a boat ride. So we went on a boat ride. And we went all the way around this lake and just, just driving and driving, the wind in our face and the kids just having a big time. And finally I said, I am not coming to Minnesota without at least getting uh, the, some bait in the water and seeing if I can catch some fish. So I got into this little cove, you know, and out of the wind. And uh, the wind was kind of blowing out in the rest of the lake. And uh, there the pontoon boat was. I thought, it's not a problem. I've done this many times before. I grabbed the anchor that the man had there, threw it over, tied it off. Everything was good. Got my fishing all, all, uh, tackle all ready, you know, and uh, man, whoosh, out there, and here we go. Here we go. We're going to find them. I don't know where they are, but we're going to find them. We're going to catch some fish, and I'm going to bring them home and teach these youngins of mine what it's like to eat some fish. And uh, I didn't get any bites, and I, I, I fished all kinds of places, and I, I just couldn't, 
I don't know where the fish were, but they weren't in that part of Woman Lake, all right? So and then and th- there came a time when I began to look at the, at the clock and say, yeah, we're going to have to go back. I've got to get ready to preach a service here in a little bit at family camp. And, uh, so, and, and you know, furthermore, I don't remember anchoring this close to shore. Now, maybe I did. But I just, when I put the anchor down, I thought we were further out than that. We had drifted, uh, I, I don't know, we, we couldn't possibly have drifted, that's what I told myself, because I dropped the anchor, I tied it off, and the knot had not moved. So I said, well, regardless, I put my fishing pole away, it's time to be the man, time to pull up the anchor, and so I did. I grabbed the anchor once, twice, and suddenly my arm went, and the rope came up. But there wasn't any anchor. Now, I had made a fundamental assumption. Somebody from Minnesota knows how to tie on an anchor to the rope. That particular day, my fundamental assumption was an error. And somewhere at the bottom of Woman Lake is some dear brother. I don't even remember his name today, but some dear brother's anchor. And I'm the one that left it there because I trusted his knot. But I realized as soon as I pulled up that, that rope and it came flying out, and I realized, oh, no, that's why we were drifting. The anchor came untied. But see, we had, we had started in this place, and we were being moved imperceptibly as the wind pushed us to a different place. Now, I want you to know something. There are two times in the Bible this word translated moved is used. Right here in our passage, 2 Peter 1.21, And the other time describes wind moving a ship through the water. So what am I saying? This Bible, was it given by men? It wasn't. It was given through the instrumentality of men. But God, the Holy Spirit, was the wind that was taking those men all the time from where they might have been before to exactly where God wanted them to be. Don't let it ever bother you, the fact that imperfect men were used by a perfect God to give us this Bible. We're speaking of the identity of the book. I want us to move on hastily. Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, please. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the identity of the book. It's anchored in God. It's delivered through men. The ability of the book. Next, the ability of the book. The Bible talks about the ability of the book. Now, there are several categories of its ability that are given to us in this passage of Scripture. What can the Bible do for me? Okay, the Bible is that great thing. That's wonderful. But what can it do for me? I want you to notice several things. Number one, the Bible talks about deliverance. It talks about deliverance. Verse 15, notice what it says. From a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. What can they do? They are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. There was a recent poll, the results of which were announced just this past week. And in this poll, they went to church-going people. Many, uh, almost, uh, almost half of the church-going people did not believe that the Bible gives us the gospel of Jesus Christ and an assurance of how to get to heaven. Well, I just want to tell you something. The Bible does give us that assurance. 1 Peter 1 and verse 23, being born again, not of incorruptible seed, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. It's the word of God that tells me I'm a sinner. That's what the Bible says in Romans 3 and verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. It's the Bible that tells me the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God 
is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the Bible. Now I'm going to tell you something. You're here in the Platte Valley Baptist Church on a Sunday morning. We're glad that you're here. But I want to tell you something. Coming into this church isn't going to save your soul. On October the 1st, you're going to see some people follow the Lord in believer's baptism. I would highly recommend that everyone here under the sound of my voice be there at that service. But those people getting baptized isn't going to save them either. If you're going to get saved, you have to get saved the Bible way. Now, there's a lot of churches out there that are talking about a lot of different things, but they're not taking a person back to the Bible. Can I tell you something? If you don't have Bible assurance for your salvation, the assurance for your salvation is on sinking sand. You ought to be able to to go to the Bible and say, I know that I'm saved because the Bible says... What are we talking about? We're talking about the ability of this book to speak of deliverance. Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I want to tell you, when you, kid, when, when you uh, adults are working with the kids in Quam, just, just make much of their memorization of the scriptures. Make much of that because the Bible has the uh, ability to go into their heart and they may, they may leave church for a time, but the Word of God that they put in their hearts will go with them. I've spoken to people by knocking on their doors. I said, you know, I haven't been in church in 40 years, but when I was a little child, I memorized verses when I was a little boy in Sunday school. And I want to tell you something. The more you and I as churches are giving out the Bible, the more we're offering help in this dark time in which we live. Because the Bible speaks of deliverance. I want you to notice it also speaks of doctrine. Look what it says. Verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's profitable for doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine teaches a person how to live. You need doctrine. I need doctrine. It comes from the Word of God. It doesn't come from my ideas. It doesn't come from my, my thoughts or my, my uh, notions. No, it comes from the Word of God. And listen, we're living in a world today of the, of the survey that I read by, I think it was Barna or maybe it was Pew Research, I'm not sure. But the survey said many of the people in churches wish that the Bible spoke more about the issues of the day. Can I tell you, it does speak about the issues of the day. It does. What is needed is for someone to get out of whatever church they're in and get into a church like this one where the Bible is going to be opened and it's going to be applied to the things that you and I deal with on a regular basis. But the Bible tells us the Word of God is profitable for doctrine. One of my favorite passages in all the book of Proverbs is this. You need not turn to it, but it's Proverbs 22, verses 20 and 21. Here's what Solomon says. Have not I written unto thee excellent things in counsels and knowledge? The obvious answer to that is yes. There's a lot of excellent things and counsels and knowledge in the book of Proverbs. So Solomon says, Have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge, that I might make thee know the certainty of the words, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. Brother Tyler, there is no greater passage in all the Word of God that gives us the idea we ought to memorize Scripture. You see, Solomon doesn't say, I want you to know the overall concepts. No, no. He says, I have given you these truths in a certain set of words. And I want you to be able to take this set of words, and I want you to be able to give it to people who are asking you. 
Don't give them your ideas. Don't give them your opinions. You find these certain words, you memorize them, and you give them out to other people. I'm going to tell you something. This Bible is important for doctrine. It's important for doctrine. We live, in a, we live in a day when people aren't really excited about doctrine, but man, you ought to be. You ought to be. Because the, the doctrine teaches you how you ought to live. Not only does it talk about deliverance and doctrine, but it also speaks to deviation. Because sometimes you and I don't live the way we ought to live. Verse 16, look what it says. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction. Reproof and correction are necessary when I'm not living the way I supposed to, I'm supposed to be living. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. When your pastor comes to you and confronts you and says, what you're doing is not right, don't get angry at him. He's only the messenger delivering the words of truth and trying to help you and to save you and deliver you from a, from a, a shipwreck down the road. A couple years ago, there was a, I, I live just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, and there's a, there's a little creek that runs just to the west of it. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called the Mississippi River. All right, you might have heard of that. All right, the Mississippi River and Memphis, Tennessee, has several major bridges going over it. Two of them are automobile bridges. All right, there is the I-55 bridge, which is older, and the I-40 bridge, the newer one or the new bridge, as we refer to it in that area. But you know what? A couple years ago, on the new bridge, the new bridge using modern technology uh, to have it built, they discovered it had gapped by six inches. Now, it wasn't so long ago in Minneapolis, Minnesota, in a bridge over the Mississippi River, there was a gap. They didn't fix it, and they lost some vehicles in the river. There was loss of life. So what did they do in Memphis? They said, all right, we're going to shut the bridge down, and we're going to fix it. You know, you could go all the way into Alabama, and there were signs on Interstate 22 about the bridge, the I-40 bridge being out. They were warning us. Don't go over that bridge. It's not safe. Let me tell you something. When your pastor comes to you and he reproves you and he corrects you, all he's doing is saying the bridge on the road that you're traveling is out. That road is not safe, and you had better get off that road and find yourself on a different road. And you know what his basis for that is? It's not the fact that he's six foot whatever inches tall. No, no. It's not the fact that uh, he's got white hair. No, that's not it. The basis for that is the Word of God. Because when you and I deviate, the Bible teaches us how to get back right. It corrects us. It tells us, hey, wake up. Understand what you're doing is not right. It speaks of deliverance. It speaks of doctrine. It speaks of deviation. No wonder the Bible says in Psalm 119 and verse 10, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. No wonder the Bible says that. Then the Bible talks to us about a duration, because he says this, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and then notice, for instruction in righteousness. Instruction in righteousness, what's that? That's how to keep it right, okay? The Bible tells me what I should be doing. When I'm not doing it, it smacks me in the face and says, hey, get right, and then it shows me how to keep it right. That's a duration. That's something that goes on and on. No wonder the Bible says in Psalm 119 and verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Oh, listen, and what is this Bible good for? What is the ability of this book? It will, it will give you everything that you need from salvation to glory. 
You need not doubt this book. You need not find something to add to this book. All you need is to get in the book and to understand it and to pray that the Holy Spirit will guide you as you read it and as you memorize it. Because this book is enough. It's enough. Then finally, verse 17. The Bible says that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The Bible speaks to us of deliverance. It speaks to us of doctrine. It speaks to us of deviation and duration. But it also speaks of its own dependability. What do I mean by that? Well, the Bible says, with this Bible, with this Bible in our hands and in our hearts, the man of God may be perfect. Now, that doesn't mean he's without sin. It means he has everything that he needs. The words perfect and the words truly furnished are very similar the one to the other. It means when you show up, you've got everything that you need. Now, I've been living in a trailer now for 20 years. Uh, not the same one, but uh, different trailers. And uh, I, as, I, as I live in a trailer, there are just some thir- certain things that I want to have with me. And some of the things that I want to have with me, uh, this church has had an influence in them. For example, I, uh, I now never want to go anything, anywhere without my 12-gauge shotgun. Because you, you never know when the pastor's going to say, hey, let's throw some clays out in the, in the church parking lot. I've never had that happen anywhere except Fort Morgan, Colorado. But uh, maybe one day it's going to happen someplace else. I don't want to borrow your shotgun with due respect. I want to have my own. I want to be thoroughly furnished. I've been to places before where, where people have come to me and said, Brother Paul, I've got a, I've got a $3,000 a year deer hunting lease. Would you be interested in being my guest? Let me pray about it. Yes! Yes! I'm interested. But that means I want to have my hunting rifle with me, truly furnished. All of those things are really not completely necessary, but I'll tell you this. If you live in a trailer, you're going to have to fix something. You're just going to have to do it. So for me, truly furnished means I got my whole Milwaukee cordless tool set there. There's the drill. There's the impact. There's the, the, the multi-tool. There's, the, there's the, the grinder, and there's the, the circular saw, and it's all there. I just put a rack in the trailer that, that we got earlier this year, and all of my tools are right there. Why? Because I'm going to need those tools, and I want to be truly furnished. The word truly furnished is used in the ancient world to describe a boat with two oars, not a boat with one oar. You got one oar, you're just going to go around in circles. But if you've got two oars, you're truly furnished. You got everything that you need. Can I tell you something? When you have this Bible and when you study it and when you depend on the Holy Spirit of God to illuminate it to you, you're truly furnished. You've got all that you need. Is it enough? Oh, my friends, I want to tell you, it is enough. Get into this Bible. Dig into it and say, dear God, as I deal with the boys and girls in clan, as I deal with, the, with the, my family members, as I deal with my coworkers, would you illuminate me from this book? Because aren't with this book, you have everything that you will ever need for life. We've considered the identity of the book. We've looked at the ability of the book. In closing, I want us to consider our responsibility to the book. What is our responsibility? It's given to us in verse 14. We've read it already. Let's look what it says. It says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Interesting. 
you have learned them, but then somebody kept telling you the same thing over and over. You've been assured of it. Thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now, I want to say this before we move on to the first part of that verse. It is important that you never forget the people who have taught you the Word of God. We've got a, we've got a group of young people today. And they want to come up through church and then they, ju- they want to go off on something and they want to forget about the people who sacrificed to give them everything that they've ever received. I want to tell you, that's a mistake. If you're here in this church and God has used this church to meet a spiritual need in your life, you have a command from Almighty God in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 to never forget the man who has spoken unto you the word of God. Now, with this particular man, some of you think, I can't forget him no matter how hard I try. All right, I understand that. But the Bible, the Bible says, remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. So if this man has spoken unto you the word of God, you just remember of whom you have learned the Bible. And you hold that man in high esteem. And, and you, you young people, you need to do the same with Sunday school teachers. You need to do the same with, with the cram workers, those people who have, who have poured into you. You remember, hey, it was that person, it was that person, that man, that woman. They were the ones that taught me the word of God. Don't forget them, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. But notice, here's the command in the first part of the verse. Continue. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. Continue. What does it mean? It means to stay there. It means to stay put. I never played football for obvious reasons when I was in high school, okay? I played a little basketball, but uh, I didn't play football. But our, our basketball coaches told us this. The anchor of most football defenses are the linebackers. Do we have any football fans here? Maybe you're Kansas City fans. Maybe you're Denver fans. I I understand. I read something recently. If you're a Denver fan, there's actually something you can take for that and make it a little easier. But anyway, um, there are the defense is the defense is supposed to stop the offense. Now the offense has all kinds of things that they do. They try to fool the defense. They try to the, it's called a play action. Now some of you ladies, I'm getting over your head. Forgive me for that. Some of you ladies are right with me, and you're fine there, there too. But the linebackers have a duty to perform. They have to stop whatever the offense is going to throw at them, and they don't know what the offense is going to throw at them. As a matter of fact, the offense will leave themselves options sometimes up until the very last minute, and they will try to fool the defense. But you know what the linebackers have to do? According to the language that we were taught, the linebackers have to stay home. They have to stay home. It would be tempting for the linebackers to assume this is a run play, or this is a pass play, rather, and they squirt through and the run is behind them. What happens? It's a big gain for the offense because the linebackers didn't continue. On the other hand, they can hang back and they can assume this is a run play. I'm going to stop the run when, in fact, it's a pass play. But they have to stay home. They have to figure it out. They have to be smart. They have to be intelligent. That's linebackers. That's from the world of sports. When I was playing in basketball, they would tell me, they would say, listen, Paul, it's the same thing. You need to be in defensive position. Don't ever be out of position because when you're out of position, that's when the other team is going to get the easy bucket. You stay home. You continue. You remain right where you're supposed to be. And I want to tell you, 
you better continue in this work, in this book. Because there are a lot of forces out there that are trying to get you and me to move away from this book. The man who told me this story is now in heaven, but he was a bit of a hunter, grew up in the state of Illinois. And he was out with his 12-year-old one day. He was going to teach his 12-year-old the finer arts of squirrel hunting. And so they made their way into the woods, and uh, he told his son, he said, Now, son, I want you to sit with your back to this tree, and I don't want you to move. He said, the squirrels will come out, but only if you sit still. If you start moving, it's not going to work. So you sit still, and you stay here. You don't wiggle. You don't squirm. You stay put. He said, I'm not going to be far away. My back is going to be to a tree just like yours is, and I'm going to sit still, and we're going to wait for the squirrels to come out, and then they're going to give us a shot. All right? Okay, okay. So his son sat down. And the dad walked, I don't know, maybe 20 yards away, put his back to a tree, and as they were sitting there waiting for these tree rats to come out of their holes and from behind their trunks, he heard, he thought, that sure sounds like it's coming from the base of the tree where I left my son. And he began to get a little bit angry inside. He said, I told that boy to sit still. And what is he doing? Pretty soon, what? And finally, finally, he finally had enough. And he got up, and he, he, had his, he had his weapon in his hand. He went over, and he looked at his son, and he said, son, I told you to sit there. I told you to stay there. I told you not to wiggle. I told you not to move. And I go over there. I'm hearing all kinds of racket. And the 12-year-old boy said, Dad, I've been sitting still this whole time, but you put me right on top of a snake. And all of a sudden, the father said, well, you know, okay, son, I suppose you can get up if you're sitting on a snake. Uh, it was just a garter snake or maybe a chicken snake or something like that, but thank God he pinned the head, right? I'm, I, my hat's off to a boy who stayed put, even when everything around him told him to move. Let me tell you something. We're living in a culture that is putting pressure on you and is putting pressure on me to move and not continue. But with this Bible in our hands, we have everything that we will ever need if only we will continue. What are you going to do? Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to look into your word. We pray and we ask that you would speak to our hearts. We pray, Lord Jesus, that pray that you would encourage all of us. Lord, all of us have, all of us have read things. All of us have felt the sting and the scorn of others who want to get us to move away from the book that you have delivered into our hands. And so, Father, I pray that you would work in this time of invitation. Right now, every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. There's just a couple of questions that I want to ask you. First of all, how many of you would say this? Brother Paul, if you were to talk to me privately, I could show you from the Bible why I know that I'm saved. If that describes you, would you just put up your hand? I could show you from the Bible why I know that I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I know it from the Bible. Just lift your hand and keep it up for a moment. Would you do that, please? God bless you. God bless you. Wow, many of you. Many of you. Oh, wait, you can put your hands down. Thank you. 
Uh, there were many hands that were raised, but some of you, maybe you were a little unsure. May I say, it is never my goal to get any person to doubt their salvation. But let me also say, you better have Bible assurance. And in a moment, you're going to hear a song of invitation. The pianist is going to play. As soon as you hear the first note of that invitation, if you're here and you're not 100% sure that you're on your way to heaven, you find the nearest aisle, you slip out, you come and take Pastor Monday by the hand and say something like this, Pastor Monday, I don't have Bible assurance. He'll have someone take a Bible and sit down with you privately in a place where it's just you and the counselor. And we'll look into the scriptures. We'll see what the Bible has to say. We'll help you. We'll endeavor to determine your level of understanding, and then we will show you the words of truth in the Bible. So maybe I'm talking to somebody here, and there's a doubt in your mind. That kind of Bible assurance is not something that you possess. Let me say, on that first note of the invitation, don't you look around to see what anybody else is doing. Don't you wait. You just slip out, and you come. We'll help you from the Bible. Now let me ask you this. How many of you would say, Brother Paul, I know that I'm saved. But Brother Paul, God has spoken to me about my lack of dedication to the Bible. Would you pray for me? I wonder if that describes you. Would you just slip up your hand? Let me see it and I'll pray for you. Several. God bless you. Several. God bless you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Now let me just give you a challenge. I think everyone in here ought to have a daily time when you open the Word of God and you read it for yourself. Now, maybe you just got saved last week. Maybe you read a little bit and you have more questions than you have answers. That's fine. You write down those questions. You bring them to the leadership of this church, maybe to Brother Thane or maybe to Pastor Wes or maybe to Laura or Teresa or Pastor Monday. You write down those questions. You come and say, hey, I just have this. Can, can you help me understand it? The answer is yes. We'll help you understand it. But it's also important that you develop that discipline of reading it every day. And you're going to find the more that you read it, the more it's going to go into your soul, the more it's going to thrill your soul, the more it's going to challenge you. But it, are, it all starts with that habit of reading. Maybe there's some of you today, you don't have a, t a daily time that you spend in the Word of God. Can I tell you, this Sunday morning service would be a great time to slip out of your place, find a place at the front and say, Dear God, by your grace and with your help, I want to promise you to make the Bible a daily part of my life. That'd be a great decision for some of you to make. May we stand to our feet, please, right now. Everyone standing, everyone standing here this morning. Our Father in heaven, there were many hands that were raised, people to whom you've spoken about, about their attitude toward your word. Lord, it's easy to get into our routine. It's easy to walk away. It's easy to go off to work without spending time first in the word of God. And so I pray, dear Lord Jesus, that you would help every single one of these that has raised the hand. I pray that you would help us, Father, to renew our dedication to this book, having been reminded this morning that it is enough. With it, we are thoroughly furnished. We have everything that we need. And Father, I pray that if there are some here that need to come, they need to take Pastor Monday by the hand and say, Pastor, I'm not 100% sure that I'm saved. I pray that they'd have the courage to come. I pray that you would give the personal workers wisdom, and Father, that they would get this matter settled once and for all this morning. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Right now, the pianist is playing. What about you? Has God spoken to your heart? You're welcome to slip out right now.
Many of you raised your hand. You said, preacher, pray for me. Pray for me that I'll have the right attitude toward the Word of God. It's, sometimes it's easy to forget. You can slip out right now. You can come. There's some of you, you don't have a daily time in your Bible right now. I'd invite you to slip out and come. And on your knees, if, if you're able to kneel, say something like this. Dear God, help me. I want to promise you the best of my ability to make the Bible a daily part of my life. The pianist is playing. God is speaking. You just obey the Lord today. You just obey the Lord. If you're here and you're not sure that you're saved, you find that nearest aisle. You come right now. You take Pastor Monday by the hand and say, Preacher, I'm not sure that I'm saved. That preacher was talking about Bible assurance. I don't have it right now. We'll let you know what Bible assurance means. We'll take you to an open Bible. We'll show you what it means. We'll help you. The pianist is playing. You just, you just let God speak to your heart. He's playing another verse. like you to sing us sing a stanza of that song just one stanza 476 it'll be on the screen momentarily you have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase but you need to put your all on the altar just stanza one and then i'll turn it over to the pastor to close let's sing it together Nothing more important than the Word of God and, and uh, the emphasis of that today. Thank you, Brother Paul. You may be seated, ushers, if you would come, want to take the offering for the BCRM conference. Always challenged by the Word of God and the power 
that God has in using his word. I uh, shared this uh, several years ago, but you know, there, there have been some, some dark days in the ministry and in our lives and different times. And you know what I found? I, I found for, for me, and it's different than you in that being a pastor and, and uh, it might be Monday, but Sunday's coming, if you understand. And so you're always having to prepare uh, another message for another Sunday and and uh, some really challenging times in our lives, ministries, and uh, every week I just had to stay in the Word of God to prepare another message for the next week. And I'll be honest, there were some times where um, that's all you had. You just, and you just prayed, God, use, use this Word and bless them in spite of me. And uh, But God always used His Word to minister to your heart and bring you back where you need to be. And the power that God uses in his word and the Holy Spirit uses that. And thank you. It's just a wonderful reminder of uh, his word and how precious it is to us. Let's pray. Ask God's blessing on, on this offering. Father, I pray you bless the offering. Bless these gentlemen and their families that will be here. Thank you, Lord, for your love that you show to us and uh, the provision that you give us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name.